Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara, here with Danny, and we're breaking hiatus once again to talk to Lila Sturges and Lev Grossman about Alice's story. Alice's story is a graphic novel adaptation of the first book in the Magician series told from Alice's point of view instead of Quentin's. P.S. Bach's stunning artwork complements the writing, offering a new way of understanding the story within. Lila, Lev, welcome to Physical Kids Weekly. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, we also want to thank you for helping with a recent project of ours to raise money for the Trevor Project, a suicide hotline for LGBT plus teens and youth. We raised $3,773 over the last five weeks, more if you include company matches. And I think a lot of people, they shared their personal stories of reaching out to friends, family, therapists, even relative strangers when they needed it and how that impacted their lives. And we heard a lot from other people who felt like they maybe couldn't do that or they couldn't reach out, um, saying that it really did make a difference to them. So I'm really excited about that. And we're going to announce the winners of the raffle at the end of the episode and thank everyone who participated then. But for now, on to Alice's story. Danny, you want to start us off? Sure. I guess the first thing we want to know is just how did this project happen? What made you think, oh, this book needs to be a graphic novel? And why tell that story from Alice's point of view? Lev, maybe you can answer this one? I think that's multiple questions in one question. <laughs> um, I, could, I could definitely speak to aspects of, 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 of that. Um, I always wanted The Magicians to be a comic. Um, I huh. always, always wanted that. Uh, I think in part because it has so much sort of comics DNA in it. So much of it comes out of um, Doctor Strange uh, and especially um, Alan Moore, um, uh, Miracle Man and, and Watchmen. Um, mm. It takes so many of its cues from comics um, that it made sense to me that it, it, it ought to kind of, it would express well in that mm. medium. Uh, and it's also just very visual. It's a very visual story, um, you know, with a, there's a lot of stuff that's cool to look at. Um, and then at the same time, you know, the characters have all this kind of interior action going on. And comics is sort of has a special gift for doing the visuals, but then also giving us the interior lives of characters. Um, and that mm -hmm. kind of dovetails really well with, with just how, how the book works. Mm -hmm. What did the process for the adaptation actually look like? Like, where do you start? Lila, why don't you start us off with that? And then Lev, you can <laughs> jump in if you have anything to add. Sure. We started out by um, sort of going back and forth a little bit about what the book should be, um, what the, the, the angle should be. And I sort of came out of the gate swinging with this idea that I wanted to do it from Alice's perspective, because <clears throat> when I went back and reread the novel, in preparation to do this, um, I thought, you know, um, Alice is kind of the protagonist here, you know, in some ways. Quentin is the main character, but Alice makes a lot of the choices that drive the story. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that really fascinated me. And I wanted, to, I wanted to get a sense of what she was feeling and what she was thinking throughout all this. And so I kind of pitched that idea and I think Lev was a little hesitant at first, but the editors really loved it. And I don't know if we bullied <laughs> Lev into it or if he just went it or, but I, I think I came up with an outline that sort of explained how it all would work. And then everyone thought, yeah, this seems like a good idea. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> I love that. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't think I I don't think I got it until I saw the outline. Uh, it's just funny. Some people's you know some people's stories are shaped like shape their lives are shaped like stories, and some people aren't. And I sort of thought, well, if if you told it from Alice's point of view, would it have kind of a beginning, middle, and end the way story is supposed to? But the way Lila shaped it, um, it just felt very naturally like it should be there. Um, and also, you know. Alice really hard in the books hardly ever gets to be a point of view character. Yeah, almost never. Um, mm-hmm. We really only have a couple pages in, in her head. And yet, you know, that lots of really, really cool stuff is going on in her head because she thinks all the time and sees everything and feels things so deeply. Um, it was kind of great the way Lila let her finally kind of have her say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I'm really fascinated by it. I, I had assumed that it was a a choice that, maybe you made even ahead of deciding it was going to be an adaptation that it was going to be from Alice's point of view. And it's, it's fascinating to me that it was something that came out of that initial collaboration. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I also worried a little bit, um, you know, it's sort of, it's, it sits somewhere between, uh, uh, sort of original material and a straight up adaptation. Um, and I think that was another thing that I sort of didn't get, like, is it going to be new material or old material? But, you know, what it does is kind of turns the original story on its head. So you get, you know, if you ever, if you ever, you know, wanted to see, you know, some of those scenes visually, you get to see them, uh, but it kind of just completely reinvents the story at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was really important to me because I've, done one or two straight adaptations of things before and it wasn't really that fun um it was just kind of you know yeoman work and it didn't allow me to get as creative as i like to be and i love the magicians so much that i really wanted to a you know really be excited about what i was doing and also b get a bunch of my own mm. work well and i think that's a good time one of the things i noticed reading through it is that most of the most of the dialogue is pretty close to what's in the original novel but um there there are a few new scenes things we wouldn't get from quentin's point of view because he's not there and alice doesn't tell him about them um and the narration on the other hand is like pretty much entirely original with an exception that we will talk about later so tell me about that. Was it, was that just about you wanting to be able to have your own words in there or was there something specific you were trying to convey with doing it that way? Like dialogue versus narration. Sure. I think, you know, early on I decided I wanted to have the, the narration because it just seemed like such a great opportunity to get inside her head. And once I started writing it, it all just kind of spilled out very naturally it wasn't that difficult. Um, it's very close to my own voice in a lot of ways. And, um, I, you know, I really related to Alice when I read the books. And I think that was another big part of why I wanted to tell the story from mm. her point of view. It just felt like a very natural thing to do. And it all just came out feeling mm. very natural. So because the narration is mostly original, it, it's pretty notable when it does repeat something from the books. And I, like for me, my favorite thing, mm-hmm. it's used to really great effect when Alice, Quentin, Elliot, Janet, and Penny are making their way through Ember's tomb led by Dinton Fenn. Because there's this scene where Quentin and Alice are fighting. It's a scene that happens in the book. They travel to Fillory's, Fillory on the heels of their indiscretions. And they're scared and they're hurt and they're angry. But they're also still very much in love with one another. And after that fight, sort of narrator Alice 
repeats a line that belongs to the narrator in the original book. In a way, fighting is just like using magic. You say the words and they alter the universe. And it, it struck me because it's in the original as well, and almost nothing from the narration is. And in the original, right, like all the narration, it's not strictly Quentin narrating, but it's sort of from his limited point of view. Mm-hmm. It felt like at that moment when they're feeling like the most distant from each other and the most disconnected, Quentin and Alice, they're thinking the same thing, which was like weirdly profound for me. Was that intentional? Well, I think that that sentence is one of the keystone sentences mm. of the whole story. Um, and it's, it's a thing that relates all of what this magic is about in this story as a metaphor to how the way that we behave and the things that we do to other people um, alters mm. the world and, and can be done so with, with just the thoughts in our head. And to me, that's a huge metaphor that's almost ex- that's made explicit there in that sentence, um, but sort of permeates the book. And so it was really important to me to get that sentence in there somewhere. Lev, do you think about it the same way? Is it a linchpin for you? Yeah, of, of course, of course. Ma- you know, magic is um, it's a real gift to uh, a novelist because it's this way in which you know things that are inside people kind of get out um, and 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 change the world it's a sort of things, you know, your interior life kind of leaks into the real world um, in this interesting way. It's very nice the way that those sentences kind of transmigrate mm. from one to the other, um, one character to the other. It is very, it is quite moving. Now that you call it out, the way that they're so far apart at that moment, but they're still feeling the same thing. Yeah. I had a couple questions of my own. I was wondering, for one, why why are there a couple like, characters that are in the book that are just completely missing and like Richard um <laughs> Anais uh was <laughs> was it just to kind of like break it down so it's closer to just Alice's point of view like did she just not care that they were there there's two reasons um one is that graphic novels take up a lot of space and so I had to condense the story quite a bit in order to make it fit the other is that when these folks are doing all their preparations to go to Fillory and all the things they do in Fillory, that's a lot of characters for the artist to draw and it becomes cluttered. Um, the panels start to become cluttered when you have that many people in a panel mm-hmm. at one time. So we needed to just kind of pare them down a bit. That makes sense. It's very elegantly done. It, it's hard to cut characters from... So from someone's novel and have it not be kind of nails on a blackboard, but um, <laughs> it's really quite elegantly done the way Lila does it. Um, and there are a lot of people walking around. I think when the um, Chinese translation was done of the magicians, the translator pointed out that I lost track at some point about like, how <laughs> many people are wandering around. <laughs> uh, and I'm sort of like, Oh, seven of them, but there's actually eight or something like that. Um, no, nice. um, even I, um, Struggled, struggled with that. I will say I miss Anais the sociopath just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, like, Richard a little bit. He is the one that went back to save him. (laughs) Yeah. Good old Richard. He really comes good in the end. (laughs) And then he gets cut from the grass. There's no justice. (laughs) Danny, did you have another question before we? Yeah. My other question was just, um, I was wondering, like, if... 
if you guys asked like what the characters would look like or if if you made your own in- interpretations together since I feel like some of the characters just generally seem to appear very different than most of us. I want to add to that. Um, When I posted pictures of the graphic novel on Instagram, Arjun sent me a message and he was like, and he said, why is Penny white? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was. (laughs) (laughs) He was exactly how I imagined him. And don't worry, we we talked. He's not offended. So... (laughs) There was a lot of back back and forth, actually, over the character design. Before things got underway, Pius did sketches of all the characters and sort of sent them through. And they kind of, they definitely evolved. There was some iterating that happened in order, I guess, to bring them in line with sort of how they were in my head. Um, I, I, I remember quite a bit of back, back and forth about, about, about all the different characters. I thought immediately when I saw Dean Fogg, I was like, he looks like Wilson Fisk, but with hair. <laughs> <laughs> Another character crudely whitewashed by the, um, the, uh, the, gra- <laughs> the graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. I think this is separate from all of that, but I, in, when I read the books, I think because like Dean Fogg always comes across as so pompous, like trying to, inflate himself in weird ways i expected him to be shorter i i saw him as like goofy but also like pompous so i totally thought of um there's this play with darren chris the very Potter oh, musical and i thought yeah. of dumbledore in that play <laughs> i buy that <laughs> so completely off there <laughs> It's funny for a, for a comic book writer, I have a fairly limited visual imagination. And so when I saw the character designs, I just thought, uh, <laughs> okay, sure, why not? That probably comes in handy, right? Because like, you'd have to accept them regardless, because um, that's what you're working with. So it probably comes in handy yes. that, that, <laughs> that you have, what did you say? It was a, <laughs> yeah, whatever you said, that comes in handy. I, I, um, I never asked him, but I, I slightly suspect that, like Lila, um, he has <laughs> never watched the TV show because he seems <laughs> utterly uninfluenced by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, you've never seen the TV show? I've never seen a single episode of it. And there's a reason, which is not because I don't want to watch the TV show, because I've heard really good things about it. It's that um, when I was trying to experience Game of Thrones, having read all the books and watched the show... I started to get really unclear about what had canonically happened and it created this really unpleasant dissonance in my brain. And I didn't want that to happen with the magicians because I was (laughs) literally writing a book. So um, I I think that it might have really thrown me. um, And and I think maybe also the speech patterns of the actors might have worked their way into the writing in Mm. some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm waiting until I'm certain that there are no more magicians books for me to write, uh, before mm-hmm. I watch the show. <laughs> so, um, in addition to some of the stuff we talked about with the original narr- narration, there are a couple of scenes that, um, are new. And then there's one other scene, at least that's retold from Alice's perspective, like a scene that happens in the book with Quentin and, I sort of imagined in the graphic novel that they both have had this experience at just sort of different times. So at the very end, skip ahead, listeners, if you don't want spoilers, 
Niffin Alice confronts Jane in Fillory the way that Quentin sort of does in the original novel. And Jane tells her that she orchestrated the whole thing, that there had been all of these different times that uh, they fought Martin and the clock was rolled back. And Niffin Alice tells her, hey, like real Alice wants you to go back and do it again so she doesn't have to die but whereas in the in the original book, Q is not very accepting of Jane saying, like, this is the best possible outcome, and Jane has to actually break the watch that allows her to wind back time to make it happen. Alice does kind of accept that answer and move on, or Niff and Alice does. Why do you think that is? And and this is really just a question for you as somebody who is like a reader and also like as both readers and writers. So Lila, why do you think it is? Why do you think Alice is more inclined to accept this answer? One of the things that I've I've wanted to show is that in Alice's act of sacrifice um, in the climax of the book is not just a way to save the, the man she loves, but also a letting go of this incredible burden that she's been carrying her whole life where she feels that it's her responsibility to mm. care for others and make sure they're okay. And so the sort of the way Alice's niffinization is um, portrayed in the graphic novel is her allowing herself to be free of all that. And so that's why as as she progresses as a Niffin, she becomes less and less concerned with the things of humanity until eventually she stops being Alice at all and just vanishes into oblivion. I think that's really interesting in and in part because of what happens in the originals as well, right? Like we're still seeing it from Quentin's point of view, but again, book spoilers, skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. Um, when Alice comes back in the third book, she's a different version of Alice and one who I think has sort of even she's coming back to humanity and it comes slowly. But that thing that you're talking about, about this like burden of caring for others forever is a thing that, and putting their needs over hers is a thing that she kind of loses permanently. And that's not to say that she doesn't care for other people, right? She absolutely does. But it's that, that burden, that belief that like, it has to be me always. It's my responsibility. I don't know. I, I don't know how to ask that as a question, but I'm interested in how both of you see that. And Love, maybe we'll start with you. <laughs> That's a hard question. <laughs> it gets at the complexity of what happens to Alice when she becomes a Niffin. Um, because if, uh, it is a sacrifice, and yet she also gets something as well. What's one of my favorite things in the comic, the way Lila gives us, lets us see Alice, you know, pre-Niffin Alice. She doesn't go all at once. She kind of, she, she sort of fades out, mm. sort of like the Cheshire Cat. Um, mm. uh, and it's a wonderful kind of writing magic trick um, that she does. You, 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 you sort of see the fading empire, uh, ember of um, Alice's old personality. And then, you know, the reverse happens. Mm, uh, it's right. the reverse it's a of what blue happens in her when eyes. Alice comes back um, when she has to transition back to her. Yeah, she has to transition back to being human. And, you know, uh, once you've been... <gasps> once you go blue, you never, never go back. Never, you never... I guess you probably never stop being completely human. <laughs> um, 
there's, there's a version of that that rhymes. I don't know what it is, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Lev, looking at the finished product, at this adaptation of a book you wrote and published a decade ago, what was that like? Do you have favorite parts and are they the same as the parts that you liked writing or do you come at it more as a reader than a creator? It's incredible when any creative project even remotely resembles what the thing that you had <laughs> intended to do when you, when you started out with it. Um, I've been thinking about this comic for a long time. It was a significant mm. um, legal battle to actually free up the rights to do this. Um, <laughs> Uh, we they first had to be uh, uh, grappled away from Viking, and then they had to be grappled away from sci-fi. And it took years of pushing, literally, to make this happen. It was incredibly gratifying when the finished product um, looked mm-hmm. so much like what I'd hoped it would look like. And part of that was seeing things that I had always longed to see. For example, Alice's Coming Through the Woods, um, and finding break bills in the book. Uh, we don't get it in the show, obviously in the book, we get it, you know, narrated, um, fairly briskly by Alice herself, but here we see it properly. We see it visually. We see it from Alice's point of view and it's kind of glorious. It's just one of these wonderful moments. Um, um, it's kind of unforgettable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a favorite in the fan art I notice, um, which is interesting for something that doesn't really happen in the books. Um, but now, mm. you know, now we can see it in all its glory. Uh, I love the inclusion of uh, Jane Chatwin yes. in, in Alice's story. <laughs> and I, I like, as soon as we meet her, uh-huh. like, as the cab driver, I was like, that's Jane. <laughs> like, I just knew. There's, I think a lot of really, well, it's also just, I mean, it is really beautiful. Is. Like, I'm, I'm flipping through it right now. I'm looking at Julia doing the Ugarte's prismatic spray. And, right, it's, it's gorgeous. It's spectacular it's also like a version of julia that you would never get in the show because she's genuinely gaunt and uh suffering in a way that um i don't think stella mave could possibly be made to be um and i don't know there's all these little bits there is one thing i noticed we we don't speaking of characters who get kind of put off to the side we see Humble Drum, but we don't get to talk to him. <laughs> I had to cut all the Humble Drum stuff. It was the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to me because I love that bear so much. And the only reason he's there at all is because I made a mistake in my revision and left him in. Um, I actually, He was actually intended to be cut entirely because I just... I ran out of space and I was really struggling to find, um, cause I was, I was, I passed the upper limit for pages, you know, <laughs> by a lot. And I just kept saying, you know, it's going to be a little longer than we thought. And they kept saying, okay, but not too much longer though. And I was like, no, not too much longer. And then there would be more. <laughs> I mean, I empathize with you. I would have trouble cutting anything from, from that book too. It's true. But the interaction with, with Quentin and the bear it's is so one good. of my favorites. It's so good. It's well, mm-hmm. David Reed will at least be happy to know that you had trouble. <laughs> the tree comes out really well, though. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that is, Lev? Why do you think people are so obsessed with this talking bear that has, like, two lines? 
I'm obsessed with the talking bear. I'm so proud of the, of the talking bear. Um, uh, I don't know. He's very appealing. I mean, you would never, ever want to actually talk to him. But I feel that I grasped some truth of bearishness that had, you know, previously not made it to the page. I don't know. I don't know. I, I am very proud of, very proud of him. Um, I do, although I do want to say that they, the, he did the tree in uh, the talking tree and the talking tree came out really well. He's really weird looking in the comic um, in a way that I feel like, you know, he's not a sort of wise old ent, um, you know, gnarled with decades of wisdom. Um, he, <laughs> no, though I really appreciated Josh's ent joke as a, uh, yeah. an aficionado. <laughs> Whenever this comes up, I have to stress, I did not think of that joke. That joke was, it was given to me slash stolen by me from my friend, Matt, who's just a <laughs> producer on The Simpsons, a professional comedy writer. Uh, in reality, I'm not as funny as that. <laughs> That's great. Well, Lila, what was the most satisfying part of this process for you? What are your favorite parts? There's a couple of parts that I really like. I, I enjoy the the way some of the, the things that I came up with that um, that aren't in the novel came out. And, and I, what really made me happy was knowing that Lev enjoyed them and felt like they belonged. That felt really good to me. There's a couple of scenes with Alice and Penny where you sort of see Penny's sort of growing oh, infatuation yeah. with Alice and the, the difficulty that she's having dealing with that because she wants to care for Penny, but she can't have yeah. these feelings for him. And, and the scene, I think one of my favorite bits is the scene where Alice and Penny actually mm. have sex because it's so sad and um, and painful, and it just it just came out exactly the way I, I wanted. I never thought to. I would feel sorry for Penny, but after reading the graphic novel, I do. <laughs> oh, I totally didn't. I actually had the opposite reaction. Like that that scene of the two of them on the dock, where he is doing what like <laughs> it's it's like the worst dude behavior where he is in love with her and I mean it is and he feels you know he feels so <laughs> entitled to her attention like her attention and affection and he's basically doing the like friend zone bullshit where he <laughs> is you know upset that she doesn't love him back and views that as her crime <laughs> I didn't feel bad for him then but I did feel bad for him like later I think I didn't feel bad for him later because of that because like I mean I do a little it's not I'm not entirely heartless but like <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that he refused to see her as a real person right like yeah. through the whole thing and she says that at, at some point I can't remember exactly where but like he is not like he's seeing her as a prize to be won and so I don't know how much sympathy I have for him being sad that he thinks he won the prize and then being like, and then realizing that that's not real, that like she had a different set of motives and intentions and she had some complex thoughts in her head that weren't just the things he projected onto her. I don't know. <laughs> Does that make me a jerk? No. <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> There's another bit I like, and it passes by in a little flash, and it's when Penny is just explaining how he got the button. Mm. He's giving all this detail <laughs> that nobody cares about. And then someone says, well, how did you get the money? Did you rob a bank? And Penny says, <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, 
him that robbing a bank is like the coolest thing he's ever done. <laughs> he buried the lady. <laughs> yes. He did. But it also kind of reminds me of how in in the in the book when he's in the library, he is always sort of it's not exactly name dropping, but it has the same flavor, right? Like he's he's acting nonchalant about things that he's totally not nonchalant about that he's using specifically as a way to like gain status and recognition. <laughs> the robbing a bank thing was like that. That was good. I always like the way that he like shows up and like just acts like they've all been friends like this entire time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like right, he he immediately jumps into that going back to the Alice thing, right? Like he immediately jumps back into that casual intimacy with Alice when his last interaction with her was telling her that they couldn't be friends. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, Yeah, whatever. That never happened. <laughs> we're still in love, even though you never were. <laughs> <laughs> Can we look forward to more graphic novel adaptations in the future? Maybe Julia's story or Elliot's? Lila, I'm going to throw to you. You're going to throw to me, huh? Well, um, it was announced, kind of to my surprise, at a panel that we did in San Diego Comic Con, that there are indeed more magicians' comics coming from the team of me and P.S. Bach, with, of course, Lev's loving supervision. And um, that's all they said, and so I assume <laughs> that's all I'm allowed to say. But rest assured that there is more Excellent. to come. I just need Elliot's, like, tale of, like, his Muntjac adventures. Oh, yeah. Elliot's Muntjac adventures would be great. Just, you know, put that pitch in there. There are so many things that I would love to tell. I would love to tell all of Janet's crazy stories about the stuff that she yes. does when she's clean and fillery because it's, it's all just related by her and you don't actually mm-hmm. see any of it. And there's a lot. And also one, one of the things that I felt bad about in the graphic novels that I had to make a choice to kind of, you don't get as much Elliot as you do in the book. Yeah. And so Elliot's queerness doesn't come across as strongly as it does in the book. And that's something that, that I felt not great about um, in the finished product, but there was just no space to mm-hmm. really explore it in the way that it needed. So it just kind of goes unspoken. And I guess, you know, when you see the three of them in bed together, you can make some assumptions about who did what to whom. Um, but that's, that's really yeah. kind of it. And then there's one line drop about being called um, a faggot. Yeah. Oh, being called a faggot. Yeah. Well, uh, I hope we get all of those things and more. I hope we get to see the same. I mean, I really loved just the blend. It's everything that you were talking about, right? Like the blend of original material and new material in here. Um, somebody, I think I was talking to our, our friend Theo, and they were saying it, it's all. it filled in all the gaps that they felt in the original novel and never really knew that they were missing. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, I, I have to admit, I felt, you know, I felt really similarly. I love the novels mm. unambiguously, but it was so nice to get Alice's take on That's things. Great. And I think the way that it came together is just fantastic. So highly recommend everyone by the books. <laughs> so um, since we do have time, I think at this point I will wrap up the interview. Unless there's, is there anything else either of you want to say about 
the graphic novel before we move on to the prizes? No. No, I thought it was great. Can I just say that, like, the artwork was so beautiful? Oh, yeah. I'm really sad we couldn't get on this as well. But as it turns out, Lithuania, New York, Texas, and California are just... (laughs) It's too many. (laughs) It's too many different time zones. Didn't work out. Um, We'll try to have him on separately. P.S. is sort of slightly a man of history, um, but uh, he, when I, as soon as I saw his portfolio, I, I, you know, I, I sort of knew he was the one, and um, <laughs> that doesn't always lead to him actually being the one, but in this case, we ended up, ended up hiring the guy who I just immediately thought, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, on that note... I think we'll wrap up the interview and announce the Magicians Reach Out raffle winners. Remember, there's two prizes. The first name we're going to announce is the winner of the two copies of The Magician's Alice's Story, signed by Lev, Lila, and Olivia Taylor Dudley, who plays Alice on the sci-fi show. And that person is, can I get a little drum roll? (laughs) Nick M. Hey, it's Lila. One of the things I like to do on Twitter is give away pizza to trans people. So if you are trans and you like pizza, follow me at Lila underscore Sturgis on Twitter and learn how you can be the recipient of a delicious pizza pie all your own. Um, Next, we are going to have the winner of the grand prize. They get two signed copies of The Magician's Alice's Story, one in each of the covers a set of Headwitch Star temporary tattoos, a set of Headwitch Star lapel pins, a Break Bills U patch and pin, and a Peaches and Plums pin from Hiking Fen, a proof of concept bag and sticker from Stupid Lullabies. And I will say, when I got that one in, it is so great. I'm ordering one for myself. Um, a Peaches and Plum enamel pin sticker, set of stickers and postcard from Taz the Unicorn, a coloring book from Echolalia Moon, a uh, Trenton or a Trevor Project Quentin poster um, that that I bought, but Danny worked with um, Not Cool Co. and Basic Stuff Magazine on the design. Um, three magicians themed. They're basically friendship bracelets. They're really cool from Summer of String. A signed limited edition map of Quentin Coldwater's worlds um, from the third book uh, by Rolly Chambers, Roland Chambers, Damn. and the Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna, all seven of the actual prop keys from the season three finale, authenticated by one of the show's producers, Lori Leeser. So, yeah, big drum roll, please. Everyone join in this time. <laughs> the winner of the Magicians Reach Out Grand Prize package is Jasmine Ernest. Congrats, Jasmine. Yay. Hey, Jasmine. Um, I'm very jealous. I know, me too. I am three. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who participated and helped us raise so much money for the Trevor Project. Sorry in advance if I butcher your name. Heather Honeycutt, Ronan Cohn, Adriana Stamps, that's Riz, Maria L., Anastasia Zado, Julia Schwartz, Eric Lopez, Tessa DeCunto. I think that was supposed to be Maria Chueba de Buen, but my autocorrect changed it to Maine. I think it's Maria. Um, Portia Anthony, Elliot Waugh. <laughs> yes, we actually have someone in the fandom who legally changed their name to Elliot Waugh. Brittany Stapleton, <laughs> David Bonner, Melissa Gunnels, Sabrina Lee, Tyler Breesom, Margarita Javier, Nora Bombay, Luke Gendrote, 
Rebecca Berger, Quentin Henson, Natalia Zmudzin, Rach H., Savannah Scott, C., Walter Springer, Cheryl Williams, Melissa Rose, Marissa Gagne, Anna Maya, Anna Knarem, I'm so sorry, uh, Tori Yokums, Matthew Barber, Dustin Jackson, Joanna Clark, Magdalena, Miranda Ordinez, Stephen Jones, Kai Kagawa, Lev, you've donated, so you're on this list too. Thank you. Um, Mariah Roman, Hannah Antolin, Kyle Ratliff, Jaden Salinas, Sarah Bennett, Jacob Freeland, Elizabeth Tolleson, Harrison Worcester, Kendra Scogland, Elizabeth Gross, Channing Brown, Stephanie Albright on behalf of Catherine Gilbert, Jennifer Bayer, Dina Pasno in memory of Elizabeth Woodward and Emma Calabrese, Jamie or Jaime Vaughn, Lorraine Haberman, Gigi Wilson, Kennedy Rhodes. That cannot be calorie. What did my autocorrect do? Uh, Pangolinen. <laughs> I think it's Carol, but I'm not positive. I'll have to check that later. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Kathy Willie, Adam LaFaver, Chase Weaver, Denise Reed, Kristen Brickmanis, uh, Paige Lynn Marceau, Michael DeWitt, Holly Denny, Jasmine Ernest, Julia Schmidt, Melissa Niermeyer, Nicole Kelly, Matt Edelman, Joanna Oizen, Rhonda Torreson, Sarah Enyart, Leah Clark, Sally Guchwa, Stephen Kane, Sam Scala, and a whole bunch of people who would like to remain anonymous. Um, I also personally just want to give a special thanks to Raven and Larissa, who started the Thank You campaign to raise money for the Trevor Project after the finale, and who graciously let us ride their coattails to make it a success. <laughs> Anything you want to say to all the, all the lovely people who donated? I just want to say thanks. It's so great and caring that you, that you contributed to this. Um, it's such an important cause. If for this, if for if for nothing else, I'm happy I wrote the books just so you know people could do good. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who who did that. It was it's really fantastic, and so much money raised. Wow, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still kind of shocked at how well it worked. So I, I just repeat that. Thanks, everyone. Danny, you want to say anything? I just want to thank everyone for coming together to support the cause. I mean, it, we've had a lot of, I don't want to say negativity, but division. upsetness in the fandom. Um, so it, I feel like it was just like a nice thing for everyone to come together on, not just for this, but also for um, the shirt we designed yeah, uh, yeah. with Not Cool Co. too. All right. It's nice to be reminded how much we have in common. <laughs> yeah yeah i think on that note that's pretty much it for the episode so lev lila thank you for joining us <laughs> thanks for having me thank you for doing this and listeners thank you as always for joining us for this special hiatus episode for updates throughout hiatus and into season five follow us on twitter or facebook at physical kids pod and please go out and buy that graphic novel it's amazing i Honestly, like I didn't know what to expect. I knew it would have to be good to get Lev's stamp of approval. And I've seen some of Lila's work before and it's fantastic. But this is, it's really great. And it really complements the original books um, quite well. So highly recommended. 10 of 10. Thanks. And that's it. Bye.
Mind Slut. Brrr.